It's time to get in the zone. The Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Want a piece of that championship? Put it in here. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. And welcome back into the Fantasy Football Zone. And what a week two it was. And to help us just kind of go over what the heck we watched on Sunday and Monday night. We have again Corey Smith with us, NFL writer for RotoWire. How you doing? Well, Broncos brought in Blake Bortles, so <laughs> I'm out on the uh, on my team. So I'm laser focused on fantasy the rest of the year, waving the white flag. And that just leads us into the first topic. Everyone seemed to have an injury impact in this first week. I mean, or this second week, I should say. It was unbelievable. I would just watch the Twitter coming down. Schefter would have a report, then another report would come across, and then there would be more reports going on all over the place. Guys are getting hurt left and right. And the two biggest running backs in the fantasy game, Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey, both going to miss some time. Obviously, Saquon out for the year. McCaffrey, you put him on IR, he's going to miss at least four to six weeks, it sounds like. Definitely impacting the fantasy game when you have the two top running backs gone for some time. No question about it. We have replacements we can plug in, guys that we like who we think will be competent. Of course, they're not going to offer the same value. In McCaffrey's case, we've got Mike Davis, who came in the second half and looked really good in the passing game. Eight catches and 74 yards for him. Just one rush. Of course, they're playing catch-up in the second half. A lot of the time against Tampa, did get it close late. And then Freeman, of course, Devonta Freeman signing with the Giants this week. Uh, of course, Barkley down for the year. Uh, Deion Lewis, 20 rushing yards on 10 carries. We've seen him be really effective in the past with New England as a fantasy back. But right now, going into week two, it seems like if you're in need of a running back or even if you're looking for a trade chip to add, it's going to be Mike Davis or Devonta Freeman. Maybe the slight edge to Freeman right now between the two, but obviously devastating, Paul. I mean, I have McCaffrey in one league, and I'm trying to make a few moves here and there. I've traded for Ronald Jones and Devin Singletary, a couple of guys who aren't super expensive, but I think could have a lot of upside just based on their skill or potentially injury elsewhere in their backfields. But there's nothing you can really do off the waiver wire. It's going to exactly replace Barkley or McCaffrey here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, with the Giants situation, with Deion Lewis and, look, Devontae Freeman, there, there, there's only one problem I got with Devontae Freeman. He's injury prone as well. So I know he's been a popular add off the waiver wire, but I don't know what you'll expect to get out of him. And it sounds like Deion Lewis they're going to roll with at least for this week as the lead back. Again, like we said, don't expect Saquon production at all from these guys. I wouldn't say so. You know, Freeman was decent last year with the Falcons, obviously running behind not a great front five in Atlanta last year. Average 3.6 yards per carry. Pretty good in the passing game. 59 catches for him. He's actually had three 50-catch seasons has Devonta Freeman in his career. So maybe some extra PPR utility. But, I mean, I think it was 2015. He was the number one back in fantasy. Certainly not going to get that. He probably gives you the most upside overall this week on the wire for a typical 10-team league coming in to fill in. Maybe you hope a low-end RB2 position or a flex, but I think that's that's pretty optimistic. He would best be served kind of in a flex role, I would think. And we'll see kind of how the dynamic unfolds between him and Lewis as we go along. But I think it's going to be I think it's going to be mainly Freeman here, uh, maybe like a 60-40 split. And then another running back that was off to a hot start for the 49ers, Raheem Mostert, uh, was looking good for him, and then. He got injured as well. It sounds like he's at least out for Sunday. And again, this 49ers backfield, I know people have been picking up Jarek McKinnon as a popular replacement this week. Yeah, I mean, the thing with McKinnon is he's, of course, missed the last two years with various knee injuries, unfortunately, but he has looked really good in the early going. I think he's going to be on a little bit of a maybe a pitch count 
Uh, they have Wilson, who's been around the last couple of years. I picked him up in a 16-team league. Again, I think Kevin Coleman is also doubtful this week. So we'll see his status. But right now, yeah, Mostert's going to be out for a couple of weeks here with the MCL sprain. And again, he I don't think any of them are quite as explosive. I mean, Mostert in week one, literally according to next-gen stats, was like the fastest runner since Tyreek Hill had a game-breaking play a couple of years ago. Like, Mostert's a really a game-breaking player, looked dynamic in week one and two. And literally, the first play of the game against the Jets, Mostert goes 80 yards for a touchdown in the first play. I mean, he's a really underrated special player who's really been emerging. So, again, McKinnon, I, I do like the explosiveness, and he's probably the top, definitely the top guy you want for week three in that backfield. But I do see him be on a bit of a pitch count just because of his past knee injuries here. And, of course, wide receivers got affected, too. I say these are guys that could have maybe helped you win a championship because they're not the top-tier guys, but they were consistent. And Cortland Sutton going to be out for the year. And then Paris Campbell was starting to come on with the Colts. I think he was the target leader in week one. Thought big things were going to happen with him. And now he's out for the year, too. So, again, two of those mid-tier pieces that uh, are now out, and you're searching for more answers at wide receiver if you're hurting there. Cortland uh, Sutton was really good last year. Earned his first Pro Bowl nod. 72 catches and 1,100 yards, six touchdowns. I mean, he was really a downfield threat last year. He's an explosive player, so that's a big loss for the Broncos. Kind of an underrated loss, I feel like. And yeah. just with the Von Miller injury and the Drew Locke, it's pretty dark right now for the Broncos. With a matchup coming against the Buccaneers this week, Paris Campbell, what? this is really a frustrating one, too, because he missed a lot of time last year. Broken foot ended his year, but he also missed time with a hand injury in November last year. So Paris Campbell just having trouble staying on the field. And he did have a really good week one. So surely disappointing. We'll see how that affects T.Y. Hilton here. And maybe if he'll have an uptick uh, down the stretch. And of course, the Giants wide receiver had to get hurt too. You just can't have a running back and a wide receiver healthy for uh, the Giants, it seems like, the last couple years. And Sterling Shepard's going to miss at least three games. He was put on IR as well. So there goes uh, more out of that Giants wide receiver core. I guess if you're a Darius Slayton owner, that's good for you. That's really good. For you. I mean, underrated stat here for Slayton. I think it's since around week seven last year, he leads the NFL in touchdowns. He's a big play guy, over 100 yards and two touchdowns week one against the Steelers. Six catches in that game gives you extra value. I mean, so far, 15 targets for Slayton on the year. That's pretty substantial. Of course, they're going to split it. They got Tate. They got Ingram, who had a much better week two compared to week one. So it will be spread out. But certainly, the Shepard injury up Slayton's value for the next few weeks. In my opinion, for sure. And, of course, we touched on it a little bit. You have to have Blake Bortles rolling as your backup this week with Drew Locke out now, three to five weeks for the Broncos. That's a tough situation there, especially, you know, you got Judy, the young wide receiver, now Cortland Sutton's out. That's a tough go right now. It's a real tough go. I mean, Bortles has had some decent fantasy years on bad Jaguars teams where he's thrown, like, 35-plus TDs. I don't know what stage he's at right now. Uh, he's had one thirty touchdown season, has Bortles. But, I mean, Jeff Driscoll looked okay last week pretty low completion percentage he was near like 53 percent but two touchdowns and he did just look good especially throwing to Fant it seems like Noah Fant uh, touchdown week one touchdown week two he's been involved so I think Fant if you watch the Broncos he may be their best offensive player I mean Melvin Gordon's looked really good but Fant is coming in and he's really starting to emerge as a young star Judy had a couple of drops week two of week one against the Titans of course two drops in that Monday nighter looks better week two but man 
It, it For the Broncos, this is just a weird situation now because this was kind of a, we felt good about your lock, 4-1 and one last year, but still, in a huge uh, quarterback class, Trevor Lawrence, Fields, Trey Lance, yeah. We have to make a decision. We have to make a decision here on this quarterback. And if he's out for three to five weeks, maybe more, doesn't sound like he's going on the IR through mm-hmm. lock, but we will see. This puts us in a weird situation at the quarterback position and it it may bring up some uncomfortable conversations, uh next winter. Well, right now, going to review some of those games from last week, who some of those fantasy standouts are, who we're looking at as well for the future. And we'll start off with the Browns, and we'll call them the Bungles. And we thought Baker Mayfield would come back. He had to after that week one performance, and he did a solid job last Thursday night. This was a huge game for him. The narrative we'd be looking at right now, it would I mean, the house would be burning down if the Browns lost that game. Yeah. 35-30 was the final score. The Bengals got kind of a late score from Burrow to Tyler Boyd to get the final score a little closer. It was certainly competitive throughout most of the game. It was a really fun game. But Mayfield, 16 for 23, 219 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Over his first eight appearances last year, Mayfield did not have a single multi-passing touchdown performance. So... That's a good sign. He got two touchdowns against the Bengals. But now he's kind of picking up steam. Obviously a horrible week one against Baltimore, but multiple passing touchdowns in four of his past five games going back to week 15 of last year. But, you know, I'm not really buying it, Paul. I mean, they played the worst team in the NFL from last season. Mm -hmm. It's going to save him for a few weeks. I'm still not completely sold. It just doesn't seem like, you know, OBJ had that long catch. Yeah. Uh, again, but it's against the Bengals. I mean, that just that dynamic has not really been explosive as we've wanted it to be between Mayfield and Beckham to this point. No, nope. I just don't think it's really clicked the way we wanted it to. I'm not sold on Mayfield long term just yet. But hey, for now, uh, it keeps them afloat with the win over the Bengals. And those Browns receivers, I mean, it is, it's tough to own one of them because, you know, Beckham... You expect him, at least with the talent and everything, that he should be going over 100 yards, getting you at least a touchdown, seven catches each week, but it never seems to be that way. And Jarvis Landry, who's been a PPR superstar for basically all his career, I mean, there's their ebb and flow ever been since they've been together. And I know they were teammates at LSU, but, I mean, they just seem to never perform at the same time when they're in any game. It's always either one has a big game or the other has a big game, but it never seems to be either one at the same time. I mean, you're right. With as much talent as Odell Beckham has, I drafted him as my number one receiver in a 16-team league, and I'm like, OBJ is my number one receiver. If you told me that two years ago, I'd be psyched. Yeah. You know, two, three years ago. It's just I do not feel sure about him. As much talent as he has, it really does feel like and look, he's been bad against the Ravens. Like, he's played three matchups against them. He's averaged like 30, 35 yards per game. That's a bad matchup. But regardless, it just seems like there are too many of those seven or eight point games for Beckham in PPR. And Landry's been kind of off to a slow start himself. I mean, he actually surprisingly out targeted Beckham last year, 138 to 133. So far this season, Beckham's out targeting Landry. I think it's 15 to nine or 16 to nine so far in favor of Beckham this year. But. You're right. It has not been as explosive as we thought for for whatever reason or the other. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe Mayfield hasn't been quite up to the billing either. I mean, after that rookie season where it was really promising, they finished, I think, 7, 8, and 1. I mean, he's been hit or miss too, so that contributes, but yeah. Getting back a while, it has not clicked with all of them on the field at the same time. And on the other side, Cincinnati, I mean, Joel Burrow, he's looking like the real deal. Um, A pretty impressive game against the Browns, and uh, I guess there's one positive about that Cincy offense is Burrow is making a goal this year. Yeah, I mean, I think Bengals fans came into the year knowing that weren't a playoff team in all likelihood, Yeah, or 
especially close to that, but you just want to see your team compete. And for goodness sakes, Burrow has to look like he knows what he's doing. And, I mean, we expected that, how good he looked last year. Uh, just his, like, personal story and his attitude seems like he was not going to be a bust. But you never know when someone puts on a uniform, you know? Yeah. It's just like, if he goes to the wrong situation, something's wrong with the coach, whatever, it just gets off to a bad start and it gets in his head that he can't do it. You never, you never know. But so far, he's looked like he's belonged. I mean, he has looked like a rookie on a couple of plays here and there. But overall, he looks like he knows what he's doing immediately. 61 pass attempts against the Browns on Thursday night. So far, he's been pretty good as a rusher. I know he had that one long run against the Chargers that kind of skews it a little bit, but he does look really nimble. He was a good rusher in college so far, averaging 32.5 rushing yards per game. I get it, two weeks, but 32.5 rushing yards per game. If he maintains that rate, that would be better than Josh Allen had during 2019. So. Oh, wow. I'm not saying he will be a better rusher than Josh. He's not yeah. a better rusher than Josh Allen, but he is a pretty good rusher. And I thought he was like a 20th ranked quarterback in fantasy. And I mean, they played the Browns, but if he looks like that, especially throughout the season, he may be like a top 12 quarterback. And if, if you're struggling, if you kind of have like a, you know, Tom Brady or I think Brady's going to turn it around, but yeah. someone like that who's disappointing, why not? I mean, I may not start him immediately, but throw him on the bench. Him, maybe Justin Herbert, but. Burrow, yeah. I mean, I would take a shot at him, especially in the deeper league, if I was having trouble at QB. And up next, we're talk Chargers and Chiefs and the game that the storyline continues with everything that happened before the game. I mean, it, that, that is nuts. We're, we're reading the story coming out today that Tyrod Taylor had his lung punctured by the team doctor. That's how he missed the game, and Justin Herbert came in, and now it's going to be hard to unseat Herbert because he did great in that game. He did. He lit it up. I mean, I don't know. And it also just goes to show his composure for Herbert. I mean, when did he find out he was getting the start? Like an hour before the game? I think it was closer than that because they were seeing on the pregame that Taylor did the warm-ups but then wasn't feeling right. So I, it might have been a half hour before kickoff. That's insane. I mean, you love to see that. You hope your young quarterback can step into any spot, but... I will give him an extra tip of the cap for that. Plus, he was going up against the Chiefs to, you know, questions in the secondary. Uh, of course, they got the Honey Badger. And, you know, they do have a good pass rush. I will say that. I mean, Chris Jones and company, they do have a good pass rush in Kansas City. But just going up against Patrick Mahomes on the other sideline and yeah. being able to throw for 300 yards in your debut. I mean, really, with the exception of one play, I think it was late in the third quarter where he could have run for like 15 yards. It was, a, I think it was a third and short Herbert could have run for easily got the first down. He throws it across his body. He throws a bad pick. That was it. Otherwise, he looked really good against the Chiefs. And I, tr I tried to pick him up this week. I have Daniel Jones as my starter, who I, I think he's looked pretty good. In a deep league, he's my starter. I, I think he's looked pretty good. I like him coming in. But I tried to get Herbert mm -hmm. just because I thought, hey, if Danny, if Danny Dimes just keeps <laughs> looking good but not quite producing on the stat sheet, maybe I can throw Herbert in there later in the season. I don't really buy Anthony. I don't know the situation either, Paul, if it's been updated, but I know Anthony Lynn said if Taylor is 100%, he's going to be our starter. I don't quite buy that, or at least not for more than a couple weeks, ready to go. Yeah, I think you're right there. And yeah, some of the, I know they're saying he's uh, Tyrod's out indefinitely because of the punctured lung. I mean, he's having trouble breathing. You would think. Of, yeah, so he's going to be out at least a couple weeks here. And I, I don't, yeah, I think Herbert, is, they're going to roll with him. And I think, I mean, if he shows what he did against Kansas City in that defense, Kept him in all the way to overtime. Uh, it's going to be hard to unseat him. Now, we'll talk about that backfield, too, in uh, in Los Angeles, the Chargers. 
uh, because we had a lot of questions about Austin Eckler, you know, the pass-catching thing. I know they even talked about it on the telecast, so the fantasy point getting across that maybe Eckler's not seen as many receptions this year. And, and there's another reason, too, because uh, they've got another well, maybe potential star that could take some carries away in that backfield. Yeah, Josh Kelly, it was uh, 23 carries this week, Paul. I think that was <laughs> yes. fourth at the position. Uh, that's pretty unbelievable. I mean, Eckler did have 20 touches of his own. He was pretty effective on the ground. 16 rushes for 93, had four catches for 55. Uh, but Kelly, yeah, 23 carries. He had a long catch of his own, a 35-yard catch for Kelly, over 13 PPR points. Uh, not especially efficient on the ground with 64 yards on those 23 attempts, but still, I mean, that's just tremendous workload. And long-term, I did mention Eckler as a buy low. I like him a lot more with Herbert running that offense. They did seem a little bit lethargic with Taylor week one, and I think they ended up scoring like 17 points. Yeah, they, they just seem a lot more electric with Herbert at the position right now. And going up against the, against the Panthers, who are really bad defense against running backs, so far they've given up 46 PPR points to the position uh, per game. No other team in the NFL has given up even 40. So they're well above the 31st-ranked team. They're easily the worst running back defense are the Panthers. So I can see you starting both Kelly and Eckler in like a deeper league. I'm keeping an eye on Kelly. I'm not throwing him out there in like a 10-team league just yet, but we're – getting there if he keeps getting 20 carries a game and starts maybe cashing in a little better with the yards per carry. And on the Kansas City side of things, we all knew Harrison Butker was going to hit 50-yard field goals and get you big fantasy points this week. And his sleep. I mean, I think he had a 58-yarder sometime in regulation. Then he goes in overtime, hits one from 53, gets five yards back for the penalty. Los Angeles ices him as he's kicking it. He hits a 58-yarder, has to kick it again, and hits yeah. a 58-yarder again. So just an unbelievable finish. I mean, we've known he's been a really good kicker. Now he's 39 for 43 since the start of last season on field goals. So he's been good for a while, but, I mean, that just kind of the national narrative. I've been hearing a lot about Butker this week, really because of the end of that game. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I mean, his production dipped a bit from the great start in week one, but I think, you know, that's how it's going to go with a back in this Kansas City backfield. I mean, that's just how it is with Andy Reid running backs. Yeah, I think most of the good weeks are going to make up for it. Still a decent week with six catches for 32, so that'll salvage some value in PPR. Uh, Ten carries for 38. Again, they were they were trailing at half, 14-6 to six with Kansas City. And for parts of the second half, of course, it was kind of back and forth late. But I'm not too worried about CEH. He's going to have some hit or miss weeks, like you said, Paul. But overall, I still think he is in that top 10 range at running back. We just saw week one, he was so electrifying. He's going to have weeks like that that just win you their matchup, no question. So off week for him, but still pretty high on the player. Up next, the Cowboys in Falcons. How did this happen? Oh my gosh, man. This <laughs> is I was in a bad mood after this. I mean, I, I'm a Broncos fan through and through, but I've covered the Falcons as my main beat and I just kinda of root for them. I mean, obviously I I respect the heck out of the Patriots, but I do not like the Patriots as a Broncos fan. The fact that the Falcons blew that Super Bowl lead to New England, it made it extra painful. This lead was just another classic Falcons game. I mean, 
They're the first team since 1933 out of 444 instances to have 39 points, no turnovers, and lose the game. Yeah. Just Falcons lost here. That onside kick, man, that's just that was nuts. unbelievable. Unbelievable uh, lack of awareness on that play. Just how Zerline was lining it up, I was like, what are we going for here? It, and then he kicked it. It was just like a little helicopter ball. And just everyone thought it was a bomb, and they jumped away instead of jumping on the thing. It was perplexing. I I was thinking, like, are they afraid to jump on it and not get it right and just make it a live ball before 10 yards? But it was rolling for, like, four yards where there was guys around it, and just no one got on it. And Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, he said after the game, it it seemed like they did not know the rules. That is a bad sign for Dan Quinn. That is a bad sign for Dan Quinn right now, who is – Firmly on the hot seat, but when the Falcons won six out of eight to end the year, they decided to keep him, but he is on the hot seat. And the Falcons are in the hole right now. Yeah, they are. In that Dallas offense, we thought Dak would be back, and he had a great game. I mean, he let him back in it. Dak was incredible in the second half. Uh, this is a crazy stat I've got from my editor, Tim Schuler at Rotowire. Dak Prescott had 300-plus passing yards and three rushing scores in the second half. In just one half, 300 wow. yards passing and three rushing scores. No player in NFL history has done those two things together in an entire game. Whoa. The last time someone had 300 passing yards and three rushing touchdowns was 1963, but that was not in the NFL. That was for the 63 AFL Bills. Wow. So just a crazy half for Prescott. Comes on down the stretch, of course, man. Uh, I don't know where you put him. I mean, some days he looks like a top five quarterback. Other weeks he's like, doesn't quite seem even top ten, but he's just crazy when he is hot. Still, I'm not loving what I'm seeing from Gallup in terms of that offense. Prescott hasn't really been utilizing him a lot, but himself, Prescott, a weak winning performance, just a crazy fantasy week. And the Falcons, again, they put up big numbers for you in fantasy. Not if you're a Hooli owner, you were big time disappointed, but, uh, you know, Calvin Ridley and Gage, again, they, they put up the numbers for you in that receiving core. Ridley, man, he just continues to prove he is a, a real star. I mean, he slipped a little bit in the draft. They got him in the 20s. Yeah. But he is a bona fide star. I mean, Julio was like the fourth overall pick when he came out. He was one of those elite, elite receiver prospects that you rarely see go top five. Really still first round, but not as much excitement coming out, I don't think. But through his first 30 games to the Falcon, Ridley tied Julio Jones for the Falcons franchise record with 19 touchdowns in his first 30 games. That's a record for receiving. And he is just, he seems like a, a league winner right now. Yeah. Ridley, again, I mean, he's had stretches like this with crazy touchdown production, but the Falcons defense is not good on the back end. Their secondary is really, really looking rough. They're getting torn up, which means Matty Ice, Ryan's going to keep throwing it. And honestly, it's a little crazy to say I'm not quite there. I would still go Julio, but it's starting to be like, who would you take? I think Ridley's a top 10 receiver the rest of the year. I'm still, I still want Julio, the talent, everything. But it's starting to become a conversation. Ridley yeah. is a league winner this year, I think. I think so, too, and it, uh, it's a big kick to me because I had the decision he, as one of my last keepers if it was going to be Kelvin Ridley or DJ Moore, and I just thought, well, DJ is a number one wide receiver, and Ridley's got always, you know, he's got Julio on the other side, so he's going to be fighting for touches. I, I, I admit it right now, and I'm, I'm, all, I'm already regretting it. I hear you, man. I think I would, too. 
at this moment at least. I mean, yes. DJ Moore is very, very solid. He's been off to a bit of a slow start, I think. But yeah, I yeah mean, right now it hurts. <laughs> right now it hurts. Yeah, it hurts. Speaking of hurt, Jets and 49ers. It's that damn field. That's, oh, a, that's what it is. They hate it. I mean, <laughs> the 49ers are spooked by that field, and I don't blame them. I mean, it's horrible. Uh, Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas. Of course, of course Bosa's the bigger loss. Yeah. But just two torn ACLs on the same field in the same game. And, uh, man, that's that's horrible. Yeah, they're scared They're scared of the field, and Gates doesn't want to hear about it, as usual. <laughs> you know, we love picking on the Jets, but it's it's so easy because they just – it was terrible in the first play of the game. Like you mentioned to start off, Raheem must start 80 yards. Imagine if he didn't get hurt in that game. He could have had 200 yards rushing. That just goes to show how much <laughs> heart there is on the team. You know, you come out, you get your ass kicked week yeah. one. Yes. And it's literally, you're coming out of the locker room. The coach has a big speech, and it's like, boom, game over. First play. It, it just, that's brutal. That's brutal. Also, they had a third and 30 or something yes. where the 49ers picked up 50 yards. Both of those back-breaking plays, and it just goes to show. Amidst the coronavirus, amidst the pandemic, Paul, we got people gathering outside the practice facility, the Jets today, asking for Adam Gates to be fired. He's got two years left in his deal. People in a pandemic are getting together, and they want him out. I can't blame him. And I was thinking, too, you know, with all the running back injuries, you know, we got Le'Veon Bell on IR, and, you know, he's going to miss three games. If I'm Le'Veon, I'm not coming back to this. I'm taking my sweet time to heal up. It's over. I mean, we were, in the summer, we liked him. Our first couple podcasts, we said, you know, going in the fifth round, he's a little bit slower, but he's going to get so much work. Ah, man, It, it does not look good. I'm, it's pretty much shut yeah. it down. Like it's almost like a Yoana Cespedes situation with yes. the Mets. Like you don't expect to see him back. Yes. You know he's expected back, but you kind of just accept that he's done. You knock on the hotel room and he's gone. Not there. Yeah. I, you could see that. Yeah. I, man, if I'm Bell, I agree with you. I don't think I'm coming back. But if I have Bell on my team, if I can get anything for him, which I doubt I can, I will. But otherwise, I'm putting him in that IR slot. Yeah. Just sitting back because yeah. it's going to be a while. Yeah. Uh, Seahawks-Patriots was a fantastic game. You predicted Cam to have a pretty good season here, and it's off to a great start so far. He is off to a good start, and what I like the most, he was looking pretty good down the field. Just that they don't really have a deep threat. I mean, Edelman was going deep time and time again. Yeah. Julian Edelman with a career high for Edelman, 179 Receiving yards, 20 more than he's had in any other game in his career. And we have been so, on him ever since the early part of the drafts on how low he was going. I hope great. you took our advice. Incredible value. Yes. Top 10 receiver last year, and he was going in the 30s. Yes. Uh, especially in PPR, but really in either format, standard or PPR, he's been really good. But, yeah, with Cam, he looks better throwing. His mechanics are looking better than they have at points. You've seen him in Carolina at different times. get a little sloppy with the arm angle. Looking really refined, excelling so far. And, you know, you just love the rushing. Two touchdowns rushing week one, two rushing touchdowns week two. Cam has never done that before. I mean, that would be quite a feat. But the last time he's had back-to-back games with any rushing touchdowns, that was in 2017, weeks four and five of 2017. Here he finished as QB2 in fantasy, the second-best fantasy quarterback. I don't quite see him finishing that high this year, but he's, he's in the top five mix so far. Yeah, he's looked fantastic. And on the other side, Russell Wilson. I mean, this has got to be the year. If he keeps this up, he wins the MVP because on just another great performance and some of those deep balls, 
how he pinpoint lands them, especially the one the more in the uh, end zone right where he had nothing to work with, basically. Just outstanding. Man, that was an incredible catch. And the play by Metcalf, too, just to stay yes. up when he got hit. Uh, I think it was the first touchdown on the deep right sideline. But Wilson is definitely, he's cooking. I mean, we heard about it over the offseason. Are they finally going to let him throw on early downs? And they have a yeah. bit more, it feels. So far this season, nine touchdowns, 11 incompletions. And one of those incompletions was a pick six, Paul. So really, 10 touchdowns, 10 picks. One for New England, one of those touchdowns. But almost as many touchdowns as incompletions through two games. He's playing out of his mind right now. And last last year, we certainly saw it. Russ was crazy good last year, and it's carrying in to 2020. Bucks and Panthers, and we didn't know when Leonard Fournette would make an impact with this team. We thought maybe a couple weeks down the road. No, all of a sudden, I saw the stat line uh, as I was looking around during the early games, and uh, Leonard with a big 100-yard game and two touchdowns, and nobody saw it coming. My gosh. I mean, he put the game on ice. Yes. Uh, of course, I just traded for Ronald Jones right before this game, so I think that's why this happened. Yep. Thanks to just the karma, the fantasy gods, they said, Corey just traded for Ronald Jones. Let's make him real worried, and let's just give Leonard Fournette a crazy game here. Yeah. 27.6 points. I mean, he put the game on ice with that long touchdown run at the end. Right now, he looks like the top back. I mean, mm-hmm. Ronald Jones had a touchdown early, but he also mishandled the carry from Brady, which has me really worried because I'm like a younger back having problems with like you know basic things like that fundamentals of the game if that were to happen again i would be worried i mean i do think ronald jones is still a good asset and still a good player and we'll have games this year but right now the stock is up on fournette he is the he's the back you want in that tampa backfield and you know it was a team effort they won but fournette kind of fantasy wise carried that team and brady was off even though he had the throw you know he threw the touchdown to evans it was kind of a strange game where brady did not have that big of a fantasy game and through two games now it's i guess a little disappointing fantasy wise with brady so far definitely i mean just 8.7 points in week two He's already got three interceptions on the year on just 71 attempts. I certainly know better than to doubt Brady, but the Broncos are up next. That's not an ideal matchup for him. So, so far, it's been a slow start, Paul. I mean, I'm thinking over the second half of the season, he's going to get it going more so. Of course, you're getting no rushing upside. Yeah. But, I mean, they do have a good... They do have a damn good defense, and they do have a pretty good running game now. So it's not going to be like the 2019 Jameis Bucks where they're throwing 30 picks. Yeah. They're down every game. They're throwing the ball 45 times. It's not going to be like that this year. Hey, though, it was the 30-30 club for Jameis. He did get those 30 touchdowns. <laughs> he did, yeah. But I, they're not going to be putting the ball up as much. I mean, it just yeah. seems like they're more balanced this year. Uh, but, yeah, I do think Brady's going to get it going more as the season goes. Uh, but I don't know. Where are you putting him right now? If, if you were going to rank him uh, or redraft, where would you draft Brady? I think he went like sixth or seventh. I'm yeah, not Yeah, He's taking, not going that far. Ooh. Yeah, I – He's probably down in the 12 to 15 range yeah. right now. I, I hate to say it, but I, he's, he's in that range, I think. Yeah. Now, Evans came into week one, banged up. Chris Godwin missed week two with a concussion. But I was thinking the same thing as you. I was thinking outside the top 10 yeah. if we're redrafting today. Well, we're looking ahead now to week three and who should we pick up and uh, or who should start. And I keep seeing you know people saying, I should have started Ryan Tannenhill this week. I, I saw it again last week, and it's like you don't think of starting him because it's, it's Ryan Tannenhill. But he had another huge game last week against Jacksonville, and he's got a very favorable matchup against the Minnesota secondary, which is 
is banged up and inexperienced as it is, uh, it could be a huge passing game once again for him. Yeah, I mean, he's without A.J. Brown, or it was for last week. I'm not sure if he's going to be ready to go this week, but John Smith and Corey Davis have definitely been good targets for him. I mean, Tannehill, we all, not, I'm not going to say we all, I'm not going to lump us in. Uh, I thought he'd be pretty good this year, but I thought he would regress a little bit. He was yes. just so efficient last year, uh, but he's staying red hot. Multiple touchdown passes in eight straight regular season games for him now. He's got an 18 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio since week 10 of last year and over 250 passing yards per game. So even though they're pretty low volume passing attack, they only put it up I think about 26 passes per game during that span. He's still super efficient with the touchdowns that to picks and 250 yards per game isn't terrible. So mm-hmm. we we've, we've talked about this Minnesota defense Uh-oh. week 1 they got wrecked by Aaron Rodgers, yep. 364 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, week two, that Minnesota offense was so off that they didn't have to throw as much on the opposite side for Indianapolis. They only threw for 203 yards and one touchdown, but they were up 28-3 to three, uh, with nine minutes left to go in the game, so they definitely were not throwing it late. Uh, so that impacts the stats a little bit, but... It's, it's been rough on the outside is what I understand, Paul. I mean, yes. you probably have a more intimate understanding of how those corners are looking every single play, but watching the condensed games, it's looking rough on the outside, and I think Tannehill is a top-10 quarterback this week given how hot he is. And I agree with you because, like I was saying before, Mike Hughes, who is their only experienced cornerback for the Minnesota defense right now, uh, did not practice today. He's looking hurt. Dancer, one of the rookies as well as they brought in uh, in the draft, he did not practice either. So they're inexperienced and they're banged up in that secondary. And that is just not good, especially what they have done so far. And again, with what's going on, no fans in the stands. They get no juice from that crowd at U.S. Bank Stadium. It's huge. It is a big factor, and I don't know if it's going to be a huge day for Tannenhill or Derrick Henry if he has a big bounce-back game, but I I can put some money on the Tennessee offense I think is going to have a big week. Yeah, we hear so much about the pass defense taking a step back from Minnesota. The rush defense is the fifth worst in the NFL so far through just two games, but still, that's that's not a good omen. Uh, Can't stop the pass, can't stop the run. And our quarterback stinks, so that's it's a rough calculation yeah. right now. Popular pickup too. Speaking of uh, you know the uh, Tennessee wide receivers, Adam Humphreys I see has been a popular pickup off the waiver wire. Corey Davis now is he starting to live up to the potential? I mean, I guess it is the third year wide receiver deal, and uh, you know with AJ Brown missing, do you think maybe we are starting to see this is what the uh, what was the number five overall guy in the draft a couple of years ago? Yeah, out of Western Michigan, he was fifth overall, so. Super talented uh, coming out. Scouts super high on the guy, but definitely is not translated to the first three years. We always hear about that second or third year receiver breakout. Davis is aiming for that fourth year breakout. He may may just do it. I mean, so far, 10 catches for 137 yards, the first two outings of the year. Season opener against the Broncos when A.J. Brown was in the lineup there. His first 100-yard outing since November 2018, so nearly... Two-year stretch since he had that last game. Surely he's missed some time with injury, but also had a touchdown in week two. Decent target share week two as well. So, yeah, I think Davis is a considerable flex play, even a 10-team league this week against the Vikings. And Humphreys himself, he led the team in targets last week. He also led the team in catches against the Jaguars. His ceiling is pretty low. I mean, unless he gets in the end zone, he'll probably get you five or six. He's a nice underneath target. I do like him in PPR. In deeper PPR, he does have some value, Humphreys, but... Mm. 
Davis has more opportunity for just like an explosive year. If Brown is dealing with something all year or comes back banged up, or even if he comes back 100%, if Tannehill just builds something with Davis and knows to trust him, he may be a sleeper or helps you win your league this year, Corey Davis. Another quarterback you want to roll with, Big Ben this week. I think so. Against the Texans, he was really good. I mean, look, he wasn't a spring chicken week one against the Giants. Yeah. But he looked pretty smooth throwing the ball. Three passing touchdowns. We go back to 2018 before the injury. He was the third best quarterback in fantasy. And so, you know, he looks pretty good. Found Deontay Johnson this week. I hope we traded for him before week two. Yeah. You can't get him now if you wanted him, but nope. you're looking at the matchup against the Texans here. Gave up three passing touchdowns to the Chiefs in week one. Uh, week two, they settled down a little bit. They held Jackson to 200 yards passing for Baltimore, but again, the Ravens were up 13 early in the second half, so not incentivized to throw a ton down the stretch. Last year, Houston was the second worst team against quarterbacks. They gave up the second most points. You ask ESPN's Mike Clay, who studies the cornerback wide receiver matchups, he'll tell you Vernon Hargreaves is maybe the worst starting cornerback in the NFL. Unbelievable. Uh, 39.6 PPF uh, pro football focus grade week one. The Bucks casted him off. So if the Bucks <laughs> let this guy go, yeah. you know he, he doesn't have a ton to offer uh, as a number one corner. Yeah, that, I mean, that's hard, to, especially coming out of college. He was a big, high draft pick, and it just has not panned out. If the team that finished 30th, 27th and 32nd in pass defense the last three years says, no, we don't need this guy anymore. We can, yeah. we can do better without him. That, that's a red flag. Yeah. And Bradley Roby on the other side, uh, former Bronco, always rooting for him, but so far opposing passers are throwing for 129.2 passer rating when targeting him this year. So really looking rough on the back end for Houston so far. And I like Big Ben week three for that reason. And one more quarterback this week. This guy, I'm starting to, I'm starting to believe he might be a top five guy by the end of the the way he's putting up the numbers. That's Josh Allen. Yeah, I'm starting to get match up proof. I mean, for the most part, except for when he plays New England, maybe. Yes. I may start him pretty. I will start him every week. I mean, he's going up against the number eight quarterback defense in the Rams, who they've held uh, the Cowboys and the Eagles both to under 21 points. Both. You'd think pretty good offenses. Uh, Wentz has looked a little shaky early, but still. Mm-hmm. They, they look good, the Rams on defense, uh, with the new coordinator. But I still just have been overwhelmed by Allen. Now, they've played the Dolphins and the Jets, but they're the number one pass offense in the NFL are the Bills. And Josh Allen, first Bills quarterback with 400-plus passing yards and four touchdowns with no picks in the game. And he's also the first Bills quarterback with back-to-back 300-yard passing games in 18 years. So red-hot start for him. He's over 70% completion after being around 58 last year. So, you know, bad competition the first two weeks, but he gives you so much rushing upside, and he looks much better as a passer. Tip of the cap again to McDermott and company in Buffalo. He looked a very raw prospect coming out of Wyoming, but he's coming into his own as a passer, the rushing upside, so I'm overwhelmed with him. I'm willing to take him in a tough matchup against the Rams. At running back, you know, the, the position has been decimated because of the injuries up top uh, with the top two guys. Everyone's trying to grab whoever they can right now as a starter. And we're going to start off. I thought this guy was going to have a big game last week. The game got out of control, and there was no way they could establish him. But uh, Adrian Peterson, you like him this week? I like him this week. I mean, week one, we really felt optimistic about him. Uh, over 58% of the running back carries. Had four uh, red zone carries week one, which is as many as Ezekiel Elliott. Alvin Kamara or Joe Mixon got for their team. So you love the red zone usage for AP uh, week one. 
Week two, we just got seven of the 20 running back carries. We saw Carrion Johnson come alive a little bit. He averaged four yards per carry. The rookie, DeAndre Swift, after, of course, the nightmarish end of week one, yep. pretty good week two. He's looking pretty good as a pass catcher. He had five targets, caught all five of them for 60 yards. So those guys are starting to chip in a little bit, but I'm still thinking, especially against his former team, I do think these things play in. Yeah. Uh, place where he didn't really, I mean, it was better than his New Orleans run, but yeah. <laughs> against, his, against his former team here, I could see them leaning on him, and you look back, I mean, we, I think we under, I undervalued him coming into this year, because mm-hmm. last year he was 19th in carries, just one spot behind Barkley. I mean, you don't know if a team is a young running back if they're going to kind of put AP to the side, but no, I mean, they're using him despite a pretty high pick on a rookie back in this draft, and going up against his former team, the Cardinals, gave up the second most PPR points to opposing backs in week one. And Gibson and McKissick for Washington week two both had pretty good games combined for over 100 yards and a touchdown on the ground. So it's looking like a good matchup against the Cardinals for AP. And I think the former team factor makes him he's definitely going to get the most carries in this backfield, I think. Another guy we like. This could be like the story of the year if he keeps it up. James Robinson of the Jaguars, the running back, the undrafted rookie, keeps it up, and uh, he's got a very favorable matchup this week. No question. Going up against Miami, really struggled last year. Uh Week one, they gave up the seventh most running back rushing yards in that loss in New England. Uh, also got torn up by the Bears, or sorry, the Bills week two, giving up 5.2 yards per carry to opposing running backs. So James Robinson in his own right. I mean, if you picked him up, kudos to you. I, I tried to get him. I just missed him. My brother got him, and it's brutal. I do not want to lose to my brother, but he is very much looking like a league winner because, I mean, it, when Fournette left, we're like, well, who's really going to take over? Chris Thompson, Gumbawale. But no, yeah. James Robinson's looking very legit, and he, he looks like definitely an RB2 all year. It se- if things keep going, he's an RB2 all year, it seems. Now, I got to ask about the LaVisca Shanault Jr. Uh, thing because I saw that they lined, was it 11 times he lined up in the backfield and he took some Wildcats touches as well. Do you think that's going to play in a factor a little bit in that backfield and, and maybe take away some of Robinson's touches? It may. I, I could see that. It just seems like Robinson maybe fills a bit of a different skill set, maybe more between the tackles and bulky guy, but Shanault. Five carries this week for 37 yards on top of his three catches for 35. I mean, yeah, he's going to eat in a few a few rush attempts every week, but I don't see it being more than kind of a gadget gig where they give him four or five runs per game. So I still I still really like Robinson as a legit RB2. But, yeah, Chenault is a nice addition there in the backfield just to keep defenses honest and add another dimension to that offense, which has surprisingly looked really good so far. And another running back that you like this week. We got Melvin Gordon against the Bucks. Now, I know the Bucks had a really good rush defense last year. So far this year, they've been really good as well. But I don't think the market is quite caught up with Gordon's price point in DFS. He's not even going as a top 20 back. Surely there's a bunch of, a couple of injured guys mixed in there with Barkley and McCaffrey. But his price, even taking those guys out, is pretty low. And, you know, we talk about Tampa's a tough matchup. Well, last week against maybe the best defense in the NFL in Pittsburgh, 19 rushes for 70 yards. I mean, only 3.7 yards per carry, but still a big workload. Two catches for 14 and a touchdown. So I just, I like him. I don't think Lindsey's going to play this week. It sounds like he's still doubtful with that toe injury. Royce Freeman got just three carries Sunday against the Steelers. I mean, he's never really been a factor Mm -hmm. after coming out of Oregon. I was excited about him coming out. But I do think that Gordon, 
despite the tough matchup, because of workload and how he's looked the first two weeks. Uh, he's a top 12 running back in PPR so far, so I like him against the Bucks, and I don't think his DFS price is high enough at this point, so I'm trying to take advantage of that. And uh, some wide receivers you might want to take a look at. This guy, he's, his stock is going up, and it's not it's a Buccaneers wide receiver, not named Godwin or Evans. It's Scotty Miller. Surely. I mean, he, he fits that Brady mold. Yes, he I mean, does. He seems like an Edelman-ish talent. Uh, they're using him. He played 61% of the offensive snaps week one. He played nearly 70% week two. Now, week one was much better on the stat sheet. He had five catches for 73 compared to just two catches for 11 yards week two. But we're not sure if we're getting Godwin back. We think we are, but we'll see his workload if it's quite at full tilt here going into week three. But I just like Miller's workload here. The Broncos on the defensive side, of course, they got Von Miller no longer coming off the edge. And they haven't looked great against the pass so far, despite being a big Fangio defense. Uh, 247 yards given up week one to Tannehill. He had a multi-touchdown game to the air. Big Ben broke the 300-yard mark against them week two, and he also threw for two touchdown passes himself. And then uh, what kind of most got my attention was just the production of the three receivers, all receivers here. Of course, you know, they got Ebron and Pittsburgh. They don't have the most formidable tight end situation, but they had three different receivers who had either 80 yards or a touchdown uh, week two against the Broncos did Pittsburgh. So I like Miller, even if he's the number three option at receiver, and we haven't seen a ton of production out of Gronk so far. So that middle field target, I do like him despite a tough week two for Scotty Miller. And another wide receiver, I think a lot of people are having uh, just wondering when to put him in. I know a lot of people own him. They, he might be on the bench or the flex area. That is Keenan Allen. It hasn't been spectacular the first couple of weeks, but is this the breakout week? I think now is the time to strike. I mean, I love the fact that Herbert's in there for his fantasy value. I mean, they were – I do love Tyrod Taylor. He – Last few years, he's been one of my favorite players. I just think he's a really gutsy guy, but better suited as one of the better backups than a team starter. And they were kind of running early on. Like It felt like they were going to run the 2017 Bills offense when Anthony Lynn was with the Bills and Tyrod Taylor. And just gonna they're going to grind it out. They're going to have some quarterback runs. They're going to run it a lot with the backs, throw it short. But with Herbert, it, it's going to be a little bit more. It just feels like it's going to be a little bit more of a humming offense, downfield spots here. Keenan Allen did a tough week one against the Bengals, just four catches for 37. Uh, but he did get eight targets in that game. So you like that. And he's still a guy the last three years, minimum of 97 catches, over 1,150 receiving yards, and at least six touchdowns. Pro Bowler all three of those years, 135-plus targets. Now, you know, last year is last year, but still a really good player is Keenan Allen. You love the Herbert upgrade, and the Panthers have fared pretty well statistically, surprisingly, in the secondary, uh, largely because teams aren't really thrown on them late. I do think there's a good shot Allen gets in the end zone here. Against the Panthers, who got 22-year-old Troy Pride in the lineup. He's a fourth-round pick just starting. He played over 90% of the snaps week one, hugely involved. And Dante Jackson, the other side, not a great top option. Performance grade last year from Pro Football Focus was very average in the mid-50s. Yeah, Corey, you're absolutely right. Very favorable matchup for Keenan Allen this week, so he should bounce back against that very young and experienced Carolina secondary. And again, thanks for breaking it all down, helping us out this week. You can always check out Corey's stuff, Rotowire, helping out with a beat rider for the Atlanta Falcons, so if they choke another one away this week, we'll get more info from Corey about that one. And finally this week, we are going to wrap things up with two marquees 
key matchups, huge fantasy implications in both these games. The Sunday night Packers at Saints. Again, Packers, fourth team in NFL history with 80-plus points and 1,000-plus net yards of offense in the first two weeks of the season. The Packers offense, which they've redubbed and named, has really been rolled along thanks to running back Aaron Jones. Had that career-high 236 scrimmage yards against Detroit. Again, 168 on the ground, 68 receiving, and three touchdowns. Check out this stat from Aaron Jones. He now has 23 touchdowns in his last 18 regular season games. That is just mind-blowing. And you know, before, in the early part of the season, I did say I think he's outside the top 10. I don't think he's quite there yet. Obviously, the big year, his contract year, and all that good stuff, I think Aaron Jones definitely is in the top 10. Heck, with the running backs going down, he could be in that top five by the end of the year if this keeps on going. On the other side, Alvin Kamara for the Saints, 174 scrimmage yards, nine receptions, two rush TDs in week two. So he bounced back, and he aims for his fifth in a row with two-plus TDs. So he has had multiple touchdown games in the last four games, so he's trying to get to that mark. And then Drew Brees, he always seems to have big games against the Packers. He is aiming for his eighth game in a row against Green Bay with 300-plus passing yards. He's also looking for his fourth start in a row versus Green Bay at home with two-plus touchdown passes. Banged-up wide receivers also kind of the issue. For Green Bay, Devontae Adams, he missed time versus the Lions with a hamstring issue. Sounded like they were holding him out of that second half and he should be good to go versus the Saints. Michael Thomas on the other side for the Saints listed as questionable. Still mixed reports on how long he's actually going to be out, so he could be a game-time decision this week. I think, personally, the wide receiver that might break out in this game, Alan Lazard for the Packers. Yes, he had a touchdown week one against the Vikings, kind of quiet against Detroit. I think with that secondary on the Saints going to be focused on Adams and maybe MVS with the long ball, I think Lazard can find his way, and I think he has his first 100-yard receiving game maybe a touchdown as well in this one. I think Lazard breaks out, so you might want to put him in your lineup this week. And the Monday Nighter as well, huge fantasy implications. Ravens and Chiefs from Corey Smith's note. Game of the year because of those big ticket guys. Justin Tucker and Harrison Butker. Yes, the number one and number two kickers in NFL history in terms of field goal success rate. That's who ESPN should be building the game around, not Mahomes and Jackson. (laughs) Yeah, I know they're the two rating MVPs, but again, that's uh, what we think. But Lamar Jackson in this game for Corey said DFS quarterback pick two MVPs quiet last week, but on the big stage feels like a spot where he could blow up. Chiefs gave up 67 completion rate and 311 passing yards to the rookie Justin Herbert last week in the debut. So again, could be a big game for Lamar Jackson because of what that Chiefs defense gave up last week. Kansas City with the fifth most fantasy points allowed to opposing quarterbacks. And you know, the game itself, coin toss, probably he, Corey, is slightly leaning towards the Ravens to win this one. And again, taking Jackson over Mahomes in the DFS if electing to pay up. You're going to have to pay up for both these guys this week but yeah they could be putting up some big numbers vegas uh second highest over under the week at 52 so will they get to that 52 this week i don't know i think the baltimore defense is legit i don't know if they can slow them down the chiefs or not as much as uh, the chargers did i think the chiefs have a bounce back i might take the under on this one i just might so that's where i might lean on that one but again best of luck to you this week in fantasy hopefully no injuries that might derail your season and again if you want uh, any roster questions sit or start 
all that good stuff. You can follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. In fact, you can shoot your questions over there, and we'd like to feature them on a future podcast as well. So again, at DraftThatGuy, all your roster questions, we can help you out with it every week here. And that'll wrap up this week's edition of the Fantasy Football Zone. Thank you so much for checking us out. Best of luck this week. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.